0: All right, get your Bibles open. Our our PowerPoint is not as polished uh, uh, this morning, not because of anybody else's fault, but mine, just because most of what's coming out of my heart did not make it into a PowerPoint. But some of it will be up there. Uh, But Mark chapter 4 at the beginning here, I'm not sure, is up there. So turn with me, Mark chapter 4. I'm talking this morning about the seed always wins. Everybody say that with me. The seed always wins. Say it again. The seed always wins. Mark chapter 4 begins with Jesus telling a pretty famous parable. Most of you have heard this parable uh, about the sower and the seed. And he begins with this simple command, the simple word listen. In other words, how many know when Jesus says listen, we should listen? It means something very important is coming. And how many know when Jesus talked in parables, the parables are stories that were meant for every single one of us to identify with. In other words, when Jesus starts telling a parable, it's for you and it's for me. It has universal application. Jesus is telling a parable here about a farmer who's sowing seed. It would have been a common scene in his time. He probably even saw farmers in the field doing, you know, sowing the seed while he told this parable, all right? But he said, listen, 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 because this parable is for all of us. And then, in fact, he goes on to talk about what this seed is. It says in the next verse, a farmer went out to plant some seed. Later, in verse 14, we find out what the seed is. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. How many of you know there's lots of ways that you plant seed? You plant seed, we just planted seed financially. We would not be able to go to India, we would not be able to plant roar schools, we would not be able to run this ministry if it were not for seed. You plant seed every week. You plant seed with your words. You plant seed when you share the gospel. You plant seed when you love people. You plant seed when you serve somebody else. You plant seed when you pray. Every time you pray to the Lord, you're launching seed into the heavenlies. And how many of you know this is what we are called to do? We're called to sow seed. Every one of you this morning is a farmer. Some of you say, Pastor, everything I plant dies. Well, guess what? You're still a farmer because your job is not so much to tend to the plants, but to sow seed. How many of you know you're all seed sowers? I want you to embrace this. Everybody in this room has a responsibility to sow seed. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you right now, all right? Just tell him that. He's talking to you. Every one of us has a responsibility before God to plant seed. Now, here's the cool thing. Sometimes when you think about seed sowing, you get nervous because some of you, you know, when we talked about our spiritual gifts, some of you said, well, you know, my top my 5 fivefold ministry gifts is not evangelism. How many of you would say, I don't feel really comfortable evangelism? Wave your hand. It's okay. Should be like most of you. All right. Um, let me give you good news. You don't have to be somebody else or try to fit in some other model when you're sowing seed. You know, I love the example for Pastor Dick and Susie. All right. They, you guys just moved into a new neighborhood, and you didn't know any of the neighbors. So they had this great idea. Let's invite all the neighbors to our house for dinner, and we'll take the opportunity to get to know our neighbors. How many of you know that's called sowing seed? You cook a meal. You send out invitations in faith. You don't know. Did you know that your whole neighborhood would show up? Did you even have any uh, wild imagination that half the neighborhood would show up? I mean, 7.15, no no one's there. Kind of like church, and then they all just show up. Yeah, I know how that is. That's why, by the way, when I'm up here on stage worshiping, I keep my eyes shut for the first 30 minutes because it seems like it's just me and the band here, all right? And then I open my eyes and voila, you're all here. Might be something you work on in 2020. Just throwing that out there. All right. Um, but anyway, you, you, you open your door and all these people showed up. And then how many? 22 out of 26 neighbors showed up. Now, here's the deal. All Your only goal was simply meet your neighbors, love your neighbors, and try to keep Pastor Dick from embarrassing you. All right? I know. And he did pretty good. All right. He did good. Pastor Dick didn't embarrass the neighborhood. They probably will come back. It's a, it's a win-win. That is an example of seed sowing. How many of you are praying for a family member that's maybe not doing so good right now? Wave at me if that's you praying for family members. What are you doing? Every time you're praying, you're sowing seed into that situation. How many of you have given and are invested in somebody else? Uh, you're sowing financial seed into their life. You know, the Bible talks a lot about seeds. It talks about God is not, ma- is not mocked. What a man sows, he's going to reap. Y'all know those scriptures. God's word is like seed that goes out of his mouth, and it does not return void, but it accomplishes what it was sent to do. Over and over and over again, the Bible talks about seed and how important it is. But here's the point I'm getting at. You don't have to act like anybody else in this room because you are a unique masterpiece created by God. And check this out. When you're sowing seed in the way God has called you to sow seed, it's going to be fun. Can y'all just smile? If you haven't smiled yet, just now's your chance. All right, smile at me. How many you know ministry is challenging at times, but it's overall fun. It's supposed to be fun. In fact, I'm paraphrasing, but one of the Bible verses says, you know, like, listen to your pastor so that when he preaches, he's having fun, and he's not angry or mad at you. I'm doing a series next in January, by the way, called It's Time to Grow Up, but I'm not mad at you. It's just an admonition that there's areas where we need to move into, so we're growing this way vertically. We're growing up in 2020, all right? But here's the point. Have fun with this. And it's especially fun when you're sowing seed when you realize that the power is in the seed itself, not in your sowing of it or not in your tending of it or your care of it, but just simply sowing the seed. So we're all planters. We're we're all doing it in our own unique way. We're all God's masterpieces on mission. But here's the thing I want to challenge you with. Can you all be faithful in failure? not just in success. You know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of you I'm talking to here this morning. Um, you know, you've had a lot of disappointments in your life. Maybe you've had ministry disappointments. You know, there's a lot of pastors uh, over this holiday season that have probably thought about turning in letters of resignation because they're just discouraged. You know, my favorite scene from It's a Wonderful Life, which, oh, we watched that movie again, one of my favorite movies. You know, there at the beginning where they ask well, what's going on with with, with george right and and they said uh, how 's that how 's that go again? Is he sick no it 's worse he 's discouraged I mean you know discouragement is a disease i don 't mean in the literal sense, but it sucks the life out of you. Some of you this morning feel like your faith has been sucked out of you because maybe 2019 has been difficult. Some of you are sitting here right now still facing some serious obstacles or challenges in your life, and I just want to encourage you. Here's the question. Can you be faithful even when it doesn't seem like answers are coming to the seed that you're sowing? You know, when Jesus told this parable, he talked about four different conditions of the soil. He talked about seed that was sown on the hard pathway, right? And what happened? The birds came in and ate it. And then he talked about seed that was sown, but it was shallow seed. It didn't have much depth. And when, as soon as the sun came out, it, the, the, the plants withered and died. And then you remember the third seed. It was sown into the, 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 the thorny area where the thorns and the weeds choked it out before it had a chance to get established. And then it talks about the seed that was sown in good soil. Y'all remember that? What, what, what happened to the seed that was sown in the good soil? How much did it reproduce? 30, 60, and 100 fold. The question is this. One out of four of the seeds in that parable did not take root immediately. Some of them were stolen. One out of four. Uh, Some of you are thinking, man, if just one out of four of my prayers were answered, I'd be feeling really good right now. It feels like I'm not even batting one out of four. Um, But here's the truth of the matter. Can you be faithful to keep sowing even when you haven't seen God answer yet? You know, there was an amazing story that I came across that really inspired me. It was about a pastor who uh, had got together with other pastors in the community. They put together an outreach, and uh, they worked so hard on it. They all pitched in their money. Uh, They rented a facility. They got sound and lights and all things you do for a big public event to share the gospel with people. And uh, they spent $13,000 on this event. And you ready for this? When it all came to a close and an invitation was given for people that maybe didn't know Christ to receive Christ, only three responses. $13,000 for three responses. If you do the math on that, that's what, $4,333.33 or something like that per person that was impacted from the outreach. So all the pastors got together, and they weren't all that happy. They were kind of discouraged. All the months of planning, the prayers that had gone up, uh, the money that was invested. But while they were debriefing at that meeting, uh, there was a businessman that was sitting there as well that had taken part in it. And he said, uh, how much How much did this cost? And he said, $13,000. He reached in his coat pocket. He pulled out his checkbook. He wrote a check for $13,000. As he pushed it across the table, he said, one of those three that got powerfully impacted was my daughter, How many of you know perspective is everything? And you can look at it like it was a failure, but if it was your daughter who got powerfully touched, he said, that's the best $13,000 I've ever spent. I also heard of another pastor, true story. Uh, He was moving up in in age. He'd been at this church for many, many years. And uh, somebody came to him before he preached with the gift of discouragement. Anybody know people like that? The gift of discouragement. (laughs) In fact, I want to encourage you not to come and minister to me in that way before I preach, all right? Um, this has happened occasionally in my life, but somebody with a gift of discouragement straight from the pit of hell came up to this dear man who had been pastoring for many, many years, right before he's getting ready to get up and try to encourage the people, and he said, Pastor, something must be wrong with your preaching and your work. There's been only one person added to the church in a whole year, and he's just a little boy. The minister listened. His eyes began to moisten with tears. His thin hand began trembling. He said, I feel it all, but God knows I've tried to do my duty. He said, on that day, the minister's heart was heavy as he stood before his flock. And as he finished the message and looked out at the people, he felt this strong inclination to just resign and quit and pass the pulpit to maybe somebody younger who could do a better job. After everybody had left that morning, one little boy, who was the new, new kid on the block, came up to him, and he said, Pastor, do you think if I worked really hard and went to school, I could become a preacher and maybe a missionary? Again, tears began to well up in the pastor's eyes. He said, Ah, this heals the ache that I feel. He said, Robert, I see the divine hand on you now. He said, May God bless you, my boy. Yes, I think you will become a preacher. Many years passed, and later this aged missionary returned to London from Africa. His name was spoken with great reverence all across the land. Nobles invited him to their homes. He had added many souls to the church of Jesus Christ, reaching even some of Africa's most savage chiefs. His name was Robert Moffat. He was a famous missionary to Africa, and he was the father-in-law of the great missionary, David Livingstone. How many of you realize that you can preach for years sometimes and see what you think is very little fruit, but it's not in vain because the seed always wins. And in God's kingdom, it's not about numbers. It's not about volume all the time. Sometimes it's about the one. It's about the individual that God touches that God raises up in God's own economy of things and does great things with. That's why I just want to say, you know, to every mother out here or every father who's dedicating their children this morning, you know, I said to my wife many, many times, I said, Honey, all the time you've spent loving and cleaning up and diapers and food and midnight feedings and sick babies and all the other kind of stuff, I said this, You know what? The fruit of eight children that you have invested in and poured into and loved on and sowed seed into their lives, we have not yet begun to see the full impact of your ministry. See you could look at my ministry uh, it 's actually our ministry, you get it, but you could look at what I do on Sunday and think oh there 's more fruit or something you know what it 's all a deception because it 's not about numbers or anything like that it 's about being faithful in what god 's called you to do and I just want to tell you the vision of every parent is that your son or daughter grows up and stands their ceiling is now uh, you know your floor all right, or your, my ceiling is their floor the other way around. you get what i 'm saying though that they go farther than they accomplish more, and that all the time you spent, the sleepless hours, the change in those poopy diapers and everything else, um, that you know what, it's not in vain because the seed you're sowing in their lives is yet to be seen, and it's awesome, and the seed always wins. You know, sometimes you sow seed, and people are apathetic. Sometimes people are hostile. People get in your face, you know, you're trying to be nice. You're trying to be helpful. I know of a situation, and our family gave groceries to somebody, and the the, the father was not a Christian person, and we just tried to reach out to them. He cussed us out because we brought groceries. I mean, what a warped person is that? Uh, You try to give somebody, you know, try to bless people, and they still... Respond like that, but listen every act of kindness, every act done in Jesus' name is a seed that goes in the ground. None of it is going to return void because the seed always wins. Here's the question Will you continue to sow when you're not seeing the harvest yet? Will you continue to sow when nothing has changed? Will you continue to give? Will you continue to be faithful? Will you continue to keep casting that seed you cast it in faith? You cast it in hope, you cast it with expectation, and you never quit believing because the seed always wins. Can God trust you in seasons that look like you're failing when really you're not failing? Actually, I want to say welcome to the ministry of sowing because every time you share Jesus with people, every time you love people, every time you try to impact, every time you stand for truth, you're not always going to get the response that you hope for. Let me tell you something. Welcome to the ministry. How many of you think Paul was pretty anointed? How many of you think Paul saw things in the third heaven that he couldn't even speak about? Super apostle, right? Well, look at what it says in the Bible about Paul's ministry. Acts 17, verses 32 through 34. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed at Paul, the super apostle. They laughed at super apostle Paul. They laughed in contempt. Others said, oh, we want to hear more about this later. That's a nice way of saying we're not interested. But look at verse 33. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them was somebody named Dionysius, a member of the council. In other words, one of the people that got rocked was a government official. We never know who's there and who's hearing the message and who's seeing. And can I encourage you this too? There's nothing like joy to make the message really attractive. Some of you need to sow smiles this year. Just sow them everywhere you go. Do what you do with a smile and watch what comes back. Some people say, you know, I just don't have any friends. Can I help you out? (laughs) Itch your lips. What's the matter with my lips? Are they not full enough? Do I need Botox? No, it's none of that. (laughs) It's that they're not shaped right. They're usually pointed down instead of up. I just don't know why anybody wants to be around me. Let me help you out. Start with your lips and smile and be fun and love people and sow good things and speak life and watch how your social world begins to change. In fact, here's how it works with the Bible. The more failure, the more success, because check this out. The more seed we sow means that the more seed is not going going to take root immediately, but the more we sow, the more will take root and will grow. So more seed means more opportunity, and that's important. Let me talk a little bit about the power of the seed here. I want to quickly move to a couple of stories that I just want to encourage you with. How many of you have heard of Adoniram Judson? I'm giving you a history lesson. Every missionary in this room has heard of Adoniram Judson. Incredible missionary to what is now uh, M- M- Myanmar, Nepal, Burma, you all know that neighborhood. All right, that area, when he, when he uh, went to go share the gospel there, was so dark, so oppressed, so demonic. William Carey, missionary to India, told him, don't go there. How many of you know if William Carey, a seasoned missionary to India, says don't go? That's a nasty, demon-infested place, all right? Dark, dark place. But here's what happened. When Adoniram Judson was growing up, he grew up in a nice godly home. His dad was a a pastor. Um, In fact, this was a smart little kid. When his dad was away on a preaching assignment, he was three years old at the time, his mother taught him to read before his father got home at the age of three, all right? This kid's bright. He went off to Brown University when he was 16. Most of us were trying to get through geometry, all right? He started college at the age of 16. So when you raise your kids, all of you that dedicated your kids like this morning, you have dreams for them. You want them to achieve what God has for them. You want them to grow up and be lovers of Jesus, and these parents were no different. But here's the problem. When he went off to college, he fell in with the wrong crowd. He fell in with a friend named Jacob. Jacob was a deist. Jacob didn't believe in a personal God. Jacob was like an agnostic, atheist, skeptic kind of person. And, uh, and when Iram Judson started hanging out with this guy, he ended up losing his faith. As some of you are sitting in this room today, and I, I've heard this story in my office where you raise your kids in a godly home, they leave the home, they act like they don't know God from a hole in the ground, they have no affection for God, they get off doing things that they shouldn't be doing. This was Adoniram Judson's testimony. He started getting in with the wrong crowd. He came home for the holidays, and can you imagine if you came home from, for the holidays and your son or daughter announced to you that they were no longer Christians, they were no longer following the Lord. That's what happened to him. That's what happened to his godly parents. And he announced to his parents that he was dropping out of college and that he was going to go to New York City and make it big on Broadway and become a you know a, a, a movie star, I guess, a stage uh, movie star. Anyway, that's what he did. So he's living the carefree life, at least in his mind, doing his own thing, rejects all that stupid Christianity stuff. And um, he's traveling one time, and he stops at an inn, and uh, in those days, they didn't have Holiday inns, so this was just a normal little roadside inn. And the owner of the inn says, hey, I'm sorry, but the room I'm renting you is the last room, and the room right next to you, there's somebody who's desperately ill. They were coughing, hacking, uh, moaning, groaning. They were in extreme pain, and he said, I'm just letting you know in advance that it might not be a good night's sleep, but it's the last room that I have, and I, you know, I apologize. That night... Adoniram Judson laid in that bed and he listened through the, the walls. He listened to his neighbor in agony all night long. And when morning was coming, he, he asked himself this question. I wonder if that person is ready to meet God. And then he quickly caught his thoughts and he goes, why, why am I even asked that question? I don't believe in that stuff. Isn't it interesting how the truth of the gospel and the seed that was sown in his life will always take root and will always manifest. And he began asking the right question, even though he was telling himself he really didn't believe. That morning he got up and he went to the innkeeper and he said, true story, he said, how's that guy in the room next to me? And the innkeeper said, I'm sorry to inform you that he he died last night. And Judson asked him this question. He said, if you don't mind me asking, what was that man's name? He said the man's name was Jacob Eames. Jacob Eames was Adoniram Judson's best friend who told him that all of his faith was a bunch of baloney. And Adoniram Judson laid in the room next to his best friend, unbeknownst that that was the guy, listening to him coughing, hacking, wheezing, gagging, moaning all through the night, only to realize that the man who had convinced him that Jesus wasn't real, that there was no personal God, that there was no heaven and no hell, that had spent the most agonizing night uh, before he expired. And at that moment, he could not help but think this question Where is my friend? But I'm just telling you as a parent that what we just did this morning is incredibly powerful because God says if you'll sow seed into your children when they are old they will not depart from the way that had been planted in them even though at times you're looking at them wondering is this going to take hold in my son or daughter is the faith that we planted in them ever going to become real and I'm just telling you this if God could chase down Ananiram Judson and place him next to his skeptical agnostic atheistic friend so that he could listen to this man die if God could chase him down and set up a situation like that to where this man was so captured by the reality of heaven and hell and captured by his own doubt and unbelief and how he had turned from God. But he comes back to the Lord at about the age of 20. And Pastor Dick, this is one of your favorite stories because then he realizes He wants to devote his life to Jesus, and he goes to Andover College, which is where the Haystack revival was taking place. And Adoniram Judson got swept into a move of God, married this precious girl, dads, all you dads out there with daughters, how would you like to have this happen to you? Adoniram Judson goes up to the lady's dad and says, I'd like to have your daughter's hand in marriage, but I need to tell you the whole truth. If she says yes and she marries me, God has called me to go to the other side of the world. There's a good chance you'll never see her or me ever again. And I'm asking if you would be willing to give me your daughter's hand in marriage for the sake of the gospel. In other words, will you allow us to go become seed for the kingdom of God? The father said this. He said, I'll leave the choice up to my daughter. The daughter said, I do. They were married. They go off to Burma, Nepal. They conceive. They have a precious little child. can't remember if it was a boy or girl. But within the first couple years, that baby died because of the hostile conditions. That first seed was buried in that very difficult place. He went through 38 years. basically hell. He was tortured, he was imprisoned, went through one hardship after another for the sake of preaching the gospel to a people that didn't care, didn't want it, weren't listening, rejected, persecuted him. After seven years of preaching the gospel and never having one convert, they got their first convert. How many of you know it's tough when that's your life and you preach and you preach and you preach and you you get rejected and you get rejected for seven years? Can I just tell you that all the great missionaries, it seems to be that was the number, seven. William Carey, when he was in India, didn't get his first convert until after seven years. But can you be faithful to sow even when you're not seeing the response that you're hoping to get? Here's the truth about the seed that was sown. Right now, in that part of the region of the world, this is just in the Baptist denomination because Adoniram Judson was a Baptist minister, 3,700 congregations with 600, over 600,000 people that claimed faith in Jesus Christ because Adoniram Judson and his family were willing to sow seed for decade after decade after decade. Now, this is what I believe. You've all heard of Paul Harvey. Let me tell you the rest of the story, right? The rest of the story is coming because sometimes people go, you know, is it really worth laying my life down for the gospel? You know, is it really worth it? Is it really worth me sowing? Is it really worth me loving? Is it really worth me forgiving? Is it really worth showing up? Is it really worth the ministry? Some of you ministry leaders out there, that are faithful week in, week out. You know what? You're there every week, but you know what? Sometimes the people that you're ministering to aren't there every week. Some of you life group leaders, is it really worth opening my home every week, getting my house clean every week, Celebrate recovery? Should we open the doors every Thursday? Marriage class, should we take care and love on people with broken marriages and see their marriage whole? Is it worth it? Luke, is it worth it? Your dad's been a pastor all these years. Has it been worth it? I mean, you've been up close and personal, all that. Did he waste his life? are so good questions, aren't they? Can I tell you the answer? No, not one seed is wasted. Every seed is going to come forth in its time. Y'all, y'all got one more story? I got one more story. Can I share one more story? This, this stuff inspires, inspires me. The seed always wins. I'm going to tell you a funny story, and I'll tell you a good story. When I went on my mission, or out of time, I had a vacation mission trip, I can't remember what, but I have all, you guys know I like, I like flowers. I like, I like growing stuff. And when I got back home, hey, watch it. When I got back home, my, uh, my flowers had been neglected, and they were, really, they were really in bad shape. But there was one rogue flower that was not planted with human hands. It was a petunia with a mind of its own. And that seed fell down in the cracks of my patio. And when I got home, this thing sprouted, was blooming, and looked like somebody was giving it great attention and care. The fact of the matter is nobody even knew it was there except God. Nobody planted it except God. Nobody cared for it except God. And it was flourishing while my beautiful potted plants were dead as a doornail. How many of you know seeds are opportunistic? Seeds find where there's a crack and they grow. In fact, how many of you know this spring, what we will have to do is go out in our parking lot and spray all the cracks so that the seeds don't germinate because a tiny little seed will destroy the pavement because seeds always win. How many of you had interesting crops growing in your gutters of your house? You drive by some people's house, they got a stinking maple tree growing out of their gutter. I hope none of you are under conviction. If you are, we can fix that, all right? But they got a maple tree growing out of their gutter. How did that happen? They didn't plant it because seeds always win. One last story, one of my favorite heroes of the faith. How would you have been, like back in the day, we're talking about the 1200s, having a burden to reach Muslim people with the good news of Jesus Christ And going to places that were exceptionally hard and painful to minister, where you would be hated and mistreated and killed and tortured and all those kinds of things for simply standing up for Jesus. And one of my heroes is a man by the name of Raymond Lull, who's literally the first apostle to the Muslim people. This we're talking about back in 1200s, all right? Raymond Lull gave his life to minister to the Muslims. And uh, and this is the cool thing I love about him. He just had an edge about him. Of course, I think anybody that would go and give their life for that has to have a certain edge about them. But after years of sowing, learning the language, having a small little underground uh, group of believers that had been raised up, Hard, hard ministry, um, persecuted, oppressed. Uh, He came back home off the mission field, and he was well into his uh, senior years, uh, probably 70s or 80s at the time, and he had the opportunity to teach at a university as a professor. Great job, got to teach younger students about Islam, about his experiences, Uh, would have been an amazing professor. But after doing that for a little while, he got bored with that. And this is what his prayer was, and I want you to feel the passion in his heart He said, men are wont to die, O Lord, from old age, the failure of natural warmth and the excess of cold. But thus, he says, if it be thy will, thy servant would not wish to die. He would prefer to die in the glow of love, even as thou wast willing to die for him. That's a bunch of fancy language for saying this. I want to go die as a martyr. I don't want to die of old age. I want to die in the heat of the battle. So at the age of, of around 80, He goes back to Algeria, which is northern Africa, an Islamic stronghold. And he first of all meets with the little band of believers that he has been ministering to. He goes as a father and encourages them and strengthens them. And then he goes out and he does this. It says, At length, weary of seclusion and longing for martyrdom, He came forth into the open market and he presented himself to the people as the same man whom they had once expelled from their town. It was Elijah showing himself to a mob of Ahab's. Law stood before them and threatened them with divine wrath if they persisted in their errors. He pleaded with love but spoke plainly the whole truth. The consequences can be easily anticipated, filled with fanatic fury at his boldness and unable to reply to his arguments, the populace seized him. They dragged him out of town, and there, by the command, or at least the connivance of the king, he was stoned on June the 30th, the year 1315. Now let me ask you this question. Is Raymond Lowe's life a waste? Is giving your life out of passion for Jesus and his gospel, is that a waste of your life? I mean, there this man in the middle of nowhere, dies under a pile of stones, his blood spilling into the sand and buried in obscurity, and is it all a waste? Or is what I'm preaching you true? Does the seed always win? Let me share with you an amazing story. In conclusion, (laughs) my fourth conclusion, I, I confess. I'm just encouraging myself, and I'm hoping that you're getting encouraged as well. Listen to this. This is amazing. In the early 1980s, I had a mullet back then. Anyway, uh, (laughs) a truly remarkable incident took place in a North African village located 125 miles east of Algiers. According to the testimony, on one unforgettable night in 1983, with no prior warning and for no immediately discernible reason... God sovereignly descended upon this coastal township with gracious bounty. This is what happened. In that village, unanimously across the village, people were awakened in the middle of the night by Jesus Christ in a vision where Christ revealed himself as the Messiah and as the Savior. It happened in dreams and visions and angelic visitations all throughout this community on that one night. So if you could imagine, we're the village, all right? We wake up in the morning. Our eyes are huge. This is a Muslim community. Jesus reveals himself so sovereignly and so supernaturally that all of us respond to the gospel. And I'm going up to my neighbor. Did you see... I had the same vision. Did you? I had the same vision. What happens when 500 people have the same vision? You start to realize something sovereign and awesome and miraculous and supernatural has just happened in your community. Look at what happens next. As the Holy Spirit lingered and these simple citizens managed to piece together the magnitude of what had happened to them, a sense of spiritual awe settled over the entire village. In the weeks that followed, their conclusions led to a dramatic wholesale conversion involving some 400 to 450 Muslim villagers. In one night, the number of believers went up in that community, 18%, just like that. All right? Boom. It was sovereign. It was a move of God. Listen to this, though. When amazed mission workers who had no direct involvement in this extraordinary development began to investigate possible reasons for why this sovereign visitation took place, they came across a stunning piece of information. It was at virtually this very site that in June 1315, Raymond Lull had been stoned to death by frenzied Muslims for preaching the gospel in the open market. The very place where the seed went into the ground was the very place years later when God says this, I am not going to let that seed die in vain because every seed that is planted for the kingdom of God experiences a resurrection and a win, all right? And I want to encourage you. How many know the seed, God's son, experienced a death and a burial and a resurrection? And that seed is still giving off fruit in life. Jesus was the seed with a capital S. But every seed we give in his name, which is why, hear me, yes, we're disturbed. I just saw we're, what, 13 Christian people were beheaded, one shot by ISIS over the holiday season. What happens when we hear that? Yes, our hearts are grieved. But listen, don't you dare think. That one bit of their blood will not produce an amazing harvest of souls in these nations where Islam has had a stronghold. In fact, even now today, we saw all the horrible beheadings that took place. Even now today, there's revival fires breaking out across these nations where people have said, I've had it with that religion. I'm looking for something that's real. I want to know Jesus Christ. Revival's breaking out. Don't ever feel sorry for a martyr. They're demonstrating with their life that their life is worth nothing compared to Jesus Christ and the gospel. Every one of them will be raised to life. Every one of them will receive an incredible reward. And every one of them have planted seeds that are going to produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. Now, I want to tell you something today. If you are a believer in this place, this year... God promises this. How many of you have had a seed sown in your life that took root and you're born again? Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many born-again people in this place? You are the seed that the Bible says produces 30, 60, or 100-fold. I'm asking you right now, what do you want to produce? Are you a 30-fold believer? Are you a 60-fold believer? Or are you going for the 100-fold? Any hundredfold people besides me. Doesn't mean I it means I'm going for that. You hear what I'm saying? The seed multiplies, and the seed always wins. Your life, the Bible says, we just were John John 15, right? You've been attached to the vine. That's what it means to be born again. What is the inevitable result of being attached to Jesus? You're going to produce much fruit for the glory of God. I just am telling you, I'm prophesying to you in 2020. It's going to be a great year of fruitfulness. I'm telling you, some of the loose ends in your life, God's going to put a period at the end and give you the answers to those things you've been praying for. Other situations, it's going to take eternity for the Lord to connect the dots for us. But I believe this with all my heart. One of the most awesome things about spending eternity with Jesus is he will connect the dots, And there's going to be some amazing, amazing introductions where Jesus says, oh, Pastor Dick, come here, come here. I want to show you, introduce you to somebody you might not have met yet. And it's going to be the fruit of one of the roar schools in India with one of the pastors that went to a tribal village where no one's heard the gospel and where the village came to know the Lord. And the Lord Jesus himself is going to say, let me just talk to you about that seed. Or how about the 30-some years when this man's been going to the nations with ankles and living in chronic pain for 30-some years? I mean, you know, that seed keeps going in the ground. But God says that seed is going to win. Every last one of them is going to produce fruit. I want to encourage your heart this year. Let's sow more than we've ever sowed before, knowing, knowing that God will not be mocked that what a man or woman sows, they most certainly will reap. Let's do this. Let's not give up on anybody we're loving right now that seems very far from God. How about this? Let's love people that maybe are our enemies or don't like us all that well because every act of love and kindness is like a seed planted in the ground. We might not see it. We're looking. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I already told you. I planted hundreds of bulbs in my front yard. Every day I go home from church, I don't see one. But I'm prophesying to you again, come to my house this April. I'm inviting all of you to come to my house April and May. You will see that the seed always wins. It will fight its way through nasty clay, and it will pop up, and you'll see a gorgeous flower because the seed always wins. Here's what we want to do. I want you to stand to your feet with me. And I want us to, here's what I felt like the Holy Spirit shared with me this morning over this message. Have the people sing over their seed. How many of you know you sow seed? But it's good to say, Lord, for that situation with a son or daughter who's far from God or living a lifestyle that's that's trapped them, I'm going to sing over that seed because I haven't given up hope. I'm believing that my son or daughter is going to get set free from the drug addiction or the alcohol bondage or, or the lifestyle, the sexual perversion. I believe that God is big enough and that the seeds we have sown will win. And what do you do? You sing. Because there's a God Almighty in heaven who is sovereign. He's powerful. Nothing is impossible for him. And he he connects the dots and he orchestrates all the details so that the seed that we've sown always wins. So here's what we're going to do we're going to sing, we're going to love, we're going to rejoice, we're going to. We're going to go out of here today declaring that God is large and in charge. How about this? We're going to let the Lord crown the year 2019 with his blessing, but we're going to look to 2020. And in faith, we're going to thank God for 30, 60, 100 fold.